This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock on this bright Saturday morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. This morning on The Bottom Line, we speak to a man who until February 24th last had run a successful business for over 25 years. Unfortunately, he lost everything overnight. His business was based in Kiev and he lost his business, home and his way of life when Russia invaded his adopted country. Now people he knows are being killed in a war in Europe. On a brighter note, we talked to a father and daughter who represent the fifth and sixth generation of the Cushion family running Cushendale Woolen Mills in Gregnamana. Founded in 1778, it's a business which has lasted an incredible 244 years and is still adapting and changing. Cushendale will be representing Kilkenny in the National Enterprise Awards. And we'll hear from Fiona Deegan of Kilkenny Local Enterprise Office and Fidelis Doherty, Cahirlock of Kilkenny County Council, about why Cushendale is such a worthy representative of Kilkenny in this prestigious national event. And we'll talk to Donald O'Donoghue, President of the Employment and Recruitment Federation about what his representative organisation thinks about the expected waves of people displaced by the war in Ukraine who may be about to arrive in Ireland. But first, Halo Care is a company founded by Carlo entrepreneur David Walsh, familiar to listeners of this programme as the founder of multi-award winning company Netwatch and himself the recipient of many awards including the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award. During the week, Halo Care announced the appointment of a new chief executive, a woman who is no stranger to business success herself, having worked in a range of roles which have brought her all around the world. I'm delighted to be joined on the phone by the new CEO of Halo Care, Sarah Jane O'Dwyer. Good morning, Sarah. Jane. Good morning, John. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure and congratulations on your new job. Thank you. I'm very, very excited. Halo Care is an incredible opportunity. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, company. I was looking at the website. Tell us a bit about it. Uh, of course, uh, David Walsh, never far away from innovation. No, definitely not. He's definitely a pioneer of innovation and uh, disrupting the status quo. Halo Care was uh, founded by David Walsh and Niall Kelly and Dr. Johnny Walker um, in the middle of COVID, would you believe? Um, and what it does is it supports older people to stay in their homes and live independently with the use of discrete technology that's put into their homes. So we provide reassurance and comfort to their family members that their loved ones um, are protected and cared for 24-7, 365 days of the year. Yeah, because we've got a hugely ageing population uh, and it's going to be getting older and older and presents huge challenges both for health service and for families. So you're, you're hitting a big need. Yes, well, I suppose we're disrupting the current model of care, which is, you know, taking people into nursing homes or bringing them into the physical structure of a hospital, for instance. Whereas now we are wrapping around all their healthcare services around their needs, and we can bring that into the community and into their homes so they can feel safe and secure um, in, their, in their own homes. And technology at the heart of it, as it was with Netwatch. Yes, yes. David and I obviously were very, very successful with Netwatch, and they have built an incredible state-of-the-art command centre in Carlow. 
um, and they've used a similar system to what they used across the world in Netwatch. So we have, you know, a complete redundancy, triple redundancy in the command centre. It is anyone who walks into it, I, I liken it to the, the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. And when people walk in, they, their jaws drop because it is just incredible. We can monitor everything from flood detections to temperatures in the room. Um, there's alarm systems in the house. There's uh, detections for um, temperature of the house. Uh, pay, uh, if, a, if somebody is on the vitals monitors, for instance, their blood pressure, their temperature, their pulse. So it's a full holistic approach to care for the person living in their home. Yeah, I think we'd all know, um, you know, how technology has advanced and wearable technology and so on. And, you know, the, the possibilities are endless, really. How does that translate into feeding back to the user, the person who's living on their own or the, the older person or indeed their family uh, and people who'd be concerned about them? Well, when we get all the information instantly into our care hub in Carlo, and then that's fed back to the family through a Halo Care app. Um, so every time we onboard a client into Halo Care, it's always with the, the support of their loved ones and their circle of care. So we can, they have visibility of literally how many times their mum or dad went to the bathroom during the night. Um, if they left a back door open for too long or if they were sitting in their seat for too long. So the tech learns and it senses the movements um, of the person living in their home and it adopts, adapts to what they're doing. And then it, once it learns all of that, and it only takes a few days for that, then it can see any differences if there's any anomalies going on in the house. So if, if a, an elderly person was sitting in their chair for too long and that wasn't normal for them, or if they were going to the loo five times a night or anything like that, that might be a predictor for a urinary tract infection or anything like that. So everything is all captured in the circle of care. And so the family has instant visibility of what's happening. And how's it going? You, you said it was founded during COVID. You've just started as chief executive. What's the plan? I would imagine a pretty rapid growth is on the cards. Yes, yes. I mean, at the moment, we're in discussions with the HSE because, you know, obviously the shortage of, of staff and getting care staff is, is a global issue that, that governments are facing. So we are in the process of um, two pilots, one with the HSE into aged care and, you know, how we could provide a hybrid model for um, their patients that are waiting for home care because um, they, they have a, there's a huge backlog. I think there's over five and a half thousand people waiting for home care hours in Ireland alone. So we can provide a hybrid model whereby you will reduce your physical hours and Halo Care will, will be able to support you for the rest of their hours. And obviously we are looking at expanding and we're going into the clinical area now, which is all our vitals monitoring. So, you know, taking patients out of the acute setting earlier so they, they don't, or going in earlier to the hospital so they can have all their pre-op and assessments taken at home. You know, there's mobile technology now out there for radiology. Your phlebotomy can take your blood in the community and therefore you only have to arrive at the hospital that morning for your operation. And rather than staying in for a week or two weeks afterwards, you can actually be discharged safely and have the same level of care at home in, in, your, in the privacy of your own home rather than being in the hospital. Yeah, tell us a bit about your own background, Sarah. Jane, I mentioned in my introduction you'd, you'd worked around the world. You've quite the CV. <laughs> I suppose I initially started my career out as a nurse and uh, working in critical care areas um, all across Dublin and, and multiple hospitals, James's, Vincent's, uh, even Hollis Street in, in anaesthetics. And then I realised, you know, that you know, it's kind of like a, when I was in James's A&E, it was like a revolving door. There wasn't the, the process, there wasn't the systems in place at the time where we had majors and minors or medical assessment units. And um, I kind of went into kind of the business development side of it and sales and operation. And over the last 10 years, I have lived and worked um, in the Middle East and in Europe and back and forth. Um, I have two little boys who have loved living in, in different countries and seeing different cultures. 
but I suppose I've, I've managed hospitals. I have worked for some large corporations out in the Middle East um, in transforming their services and growing and developing them. But uh, I suppose ultimately at the heart of everything that we do, and, and that's what really attracted me to Halo Care, is patient-centred care. You know, for years we have said, you know, it's patient-centred care in, in healthcare, but really it wasn't. It was more of the patient coming to the facility or the patient having to be at a certain appointment at a certain time that might have been inconvenient to them, where Halo Care now has completely disrupted that model and is bringing the healthcare to the patient at a time when they need it and at, at, a, at a cost that suits them. Uh, so it's we're, very exciting. Yeah, we're in a difficult business environment, though. Are you confident, uh, you know, that that a business like yours, which is innovation, which is growth, uh, will get traction in, in this difficult time? Yes, I mean, we've engaged with the HSE already. We had Minister Mary Butler down there two weeks ago, and she was just completely overwhelmed with the, the technology that we have and how discreet it is, and, you know, the security and the comfort and the clinical excellence that we can provide. We have, you know, Dr. Rona Mahoney and Dr. Dermot Power and Dr. Edwina Dunn, which is led by Dr. Johnny Power, Johnny Walker, sorry, that we have, you know, leading our clinical teams. So we're providing the best in class. Um, this type of technology is already out there. You know, we have some of the biggest organizations across America and the Middle East and Asia that are already providing this type of service, which is, you know, the remote patient monitoring. It is technology in the home, uh, for the hospital in the home. And even in Ireland, there are some organizations doing it. I think the difference with Halo Care is that we're providing a holistic. So we have, you know, three different pillars where we have the safety devices and that service. We have the clinical, we have the wellness and the social. And that's an area, the wellness and the social, where we get into the predictive health. So we can be able to predict if somebody is, you know, maybe if they're going to have, if they have a higher rate for a stroke or if they have a higher rate for, for you know, high, mm. hypertension or anything like that. So it's, it's getting into that model where you are empowering the consumer to take control of their health. Well, interesting times uh, indeed and technology at the core of it, but uh, business mm-hmm. innovation and a great drive. Sarah Jane, I'd hope to have time to chat to you about the, the, the stories of the week. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but best of luck to you, Sarah Jane, uh, with Halo Care, and we look forward to following your progress in the weeks and months ahead. Thank you very much, John. Thank you to your listeners as well. Take Thank care. you. Pleasure talking to you. That's uh, Sarah Jane uh, O'Dwyer of Halo Care, uh, and best of luck to Sarah Jane, David Walsh and everybody associated with that great local company. We're going to take a break and we're back with a really uh, uh, a tough interview, I have to say, that I did earlier this week. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the South East. John Purcell with you on the bottom line. Now, we've all been uh, horrified, I suppose, is the best way of putting it, by what's been unfolding across our airwaves and on our TV screens and the horror that is in Ukraine. And we wanted to bring you the story of a business there and what the war has meant to them. So through people in the local Ukrainian community, we made contact with Arno Klybrook, a Dutchman who has... 25 years ago moved to live in Ukraine, setting up a business there, importing flower seeds and vegetable processing equipment. A normal type of business. I spoke to him yesterday by phone. He's in the Netherlands where he has fled after the outbreak of the war. I started our conversation by asking him to tell me a bit about his business and how he ended up in Ukraine. So I uh, went to Ukraine just after I uh, finished uh, college. I went to Ukraine for a Dutch baby food company, uh, Nutricia. Also, we were also doing cow and gate. I suppose that should be well known in your area. Uh, 
that's how I started in Kiev, and then after a couple of years, uh, I started uh, my own company. So we have been uh, firstly consulting and assisting uh, Dutch companies setting up business in Ukraine, and gradually we've also uh, developed a trading business where we uh, import uh, Dutch uh, flower bulbs, tulips mostly to Ukraine, where we hold quite a, a significant percentage of the market, and we import also. Uh, industrial processing equipment for vegetables. Mm. And what was business life like in Ukraine, Erno? Uh, it, it was, uh, it had its ups and downs, uh, but uh, it was developing, well, I would say, dynamically in, in the right direction, integration with Europe, the European Union, uh, has been going yeah, very well, actually, uh, since, uh, let's say, about 2015. Uh, so trade transactions between the EU and Ukraine have been uh, yeah they've been increasing this rapidly basically in all sectors. Mm. Uh, so you you really me being having been in Ukraine for 25 years, if you see where the country was then and where it was until two weeks ago, these are different countries completely. Mm. And, uh, and and until two weeks ago, what size had your business reached and what kind of scale were you at? Uh, we are basically we're not uh, we're not a big company. We have uh, uh, four people involved in our business. We are like we're like a medium-sized company with a uh, with a uh, one and a half million turnover on average, steady mm. uh, over the years. Yeah, and um, two weeks ago the war broke out, but it had been you know, saber-rattling and Putin had been been um, making threatening noises for a number of months. Did you and the people in Ukraine think it would come to this? No, nobody would. Nobody, everybody was prepared for Russia to start making a lot of noise, more noise than it had been in the east, to eastern parts, in the Donetsk and Lugansk area. Uh, because, yeah, it's not, unfortunately, the last eight years, uh, the media have more or less ignored what was going on on the Russian-Ukrainian border, Donetsk and Lugansk, already for eight years, which is war was on that part basically continuously. Somehow it hardly reached outside Ukraine. Uh, in Ukraine, people expected that to intensify and would see that as more or less the worst-case scenario. And really nobody, nobody would have feared for anything on this scale. And had you done any planning for, you know, if things heat up and so on, or, or, or were you just going on business as usual before the war broke out too? No, well, yeah, basically, well, it was it was two things. It was basically for, for everybody, business as usual, with parallel line of thought, thinking, of of preparation that just, well, people were preparing for a worse scenario, not on this scale, but... Um, Let's say if I can speak for myself, we did make some well preliminary planning in the for the what if scenario. Uh, we did send our daughter uh, home uh, to Holland to to a friend, and then later on to my to my father uh, about two weeks before it uh, before it started. Uh, so in that sense, we knew that let's say if if things turn bad, that we can just well, get in the car, me and my wife, and and, and drive off. But it was more from a for, more from a practical even point of view than than, than because of huge fear. Mm. 
it was uh, many people just for, to to get the uh, maybe the, uh, our clients. Yeah, basically yeah. none of them was having any real uh, expectations towards uh, towards something like this. I have several who are planning large scale investments. One of them uh, got two three million worth. Uh, and they were just until just one week before it started. They were just continuing as oh, as as they had been do, planning for the last uh, I think half year or so. Mm-hmm. I have one client who was planning uh, to build a new grain uh, elevator complex. He just told me two weeks before it happened. Yeah, don't worry, it will never happen. Uh, and he's just continuing to plan where he is, 150, 200 kilometers from the Russian border. And these are people with uh, uh, large businesses they sort of oh, would they have the feeling of what is going on but yeah nobody was prepared for this mm-hmm. nobody really thought it would come to something of this scale yeah so how did you feel and what was the impact when the tanks rolled in to put it that way oh well, we woke up Thursday morning 24th at 5 o'clock in the morning from large explosions uh just a few kilometers from where we live. And then, of course, well, within yeah, within seconds you realize that this is it. This is what nobody uh, had expected. And it's happening right now. So you know, we, uh, we called some friends of ours because we live close to the airport, so we were basically the first to, well, to be aware. Mm. Called some friends and we knew were also ready. Uh, so we got their stuff, they drove off for a little bit before us. And then we had to, uh, well, we live outside Kiev, we had to cross town, cross the river. And then there was a 30, or was a 30 hour drive to the border without any real stops. And another 15 hours on uh, to Holland. Mm. What now for your business? Presumably it's gone. It's gone. Oh, it's gone, yeah. It's. <laughs> but but this year it's gone for sure, um, and then we'll just have to see. It's, uh, it's, uh, we'll have to, uh, to, 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 to decide what to do next. Mm-hmm. It will be something very different from what we were used to, uh, that's quite sure. Mm. Ukrainian people seem very resilient. How do you think they'll cope with this? Um... Yeah, it, it, it's disastrous what is happening. Uh, I know Ukrainians are very resilient. Uh, at the time that I have been living in Ukraine together with them, we went to two revolutions, the Orange Revolution in 2004 and the Maidan Revolution in 2013-14. And then the, well, the Crimea that was taken by Russia. Uh, people that say, uh, mm, yeah, spiritually, emotionally have been coping with that very well. And that will also help them get through this, I think. But this is again for on a very different scale to what yeah, what we have been going through. Mm. Uh, either two thousand four or two thousand thirteen, fourteen. So it will have of course a huge uh, impact. Uh, what can there, be they're so, a very strong. Na- they're a very strong nation. They're a very strong nation. Everybody I speak to daily, uh, well, I would say they're they're convinced. Uh, 
they're going to to get through this mm. one way or the other, but they will stand. What can business do to help, in your view, Arno? Um, I know you've been working with some colleagues to try and help, but what can other businesses do? Well, uh, uh, speaking from what we are doing, we are uh, convincing companies uh, to, to donate needed goods, uh, and this is, yeah, this is the basic supplies that are, will be needed because distribution infra- infrastructure uh, the distribution infrastructure is uh, is, is crumbling. And uh, just just a second. Hmm. Okay, I'm just just getting a message here that uh, a friend or a daughter, a classmate, he died by a, a missile attack. Oh no. I'm so sorry. Just outside Kiev. And and who was this person? It was a girl. It's a uh, well, it's friends of our daughter from school. And and you knew this girl. Uh, well, uh, yeah, she did. Yeah, I'm very sorry, Arno. It's very personal. So it's, uh, they were just having online school, actually, my daughter. <laughs> like an onla- online school meeting, so because they were uh, trying to set up uh, uh, online schooling for the kids, from, because our daughter was going to school in Kiev until recently. Oh, no. And just now they were having a, a, a meeting, uh, and then this news came through. I'm very sorry, Arno. Perhaps we leave it there. I can hear your daughter in the background. She's upset. Yeah, uh, so but the Ukrainians, it's, yeah, you're asking what can companies do, it's really what government should do. Uh, first of all, they should, really they should protect Ukraine. Uh, there's lots of help going, but uh, every, there's no fly zone over Ukraine, it is an absolute must. Uh, Ukrainian government, first of all, uh, sorry, uh, European government, first of all, they should, should lose their fear for Putin and just confront him straight on, because it's, uh, it is really, it is already disastrous, but it, if they don't stop now, uh, it will get worse. Mm. We have had the missile attacks last night, also in the western part of Ukraine, where it was relatively quiet until recently. Well, Arnold, that's a very sobering note, and... Um our condolences to your daughter on the loss of her friend and uh, thank you for telling us and sharing your story with us. Uh, yeah, so, and as for companies, yeah, uh, chip in however you can. Uh, we in Holland, we have our foundation, there's several others who are also doing a good job. I'm sure England, uh, United Kingdom, Ireland. Uh, yeah. Ireland, of course, also, yeah, stick your heads together, organize yourself, um, it will be a tough time uh, for everybody, not just in Ukraine and not just the people that left Ukraine, but it will be a tough time for Europe as a whole. And let everybody keep in, do what they can. Um, and then yeah, it's a, it, it will only work if it's a joint effort, all of Europe together against Russia. This is already a war with Russia, let nobody be mistaken. Uh, there's no casualties in Europe, like, but yet. But it's really, it is war, war full on. 
Okay, Arno, thank you for joining us and uh, all the best to you from everyone in Ireland. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, having me on. That was Arno Kleibrook, a man who lost his business in Kiev in Ukraine when the war started on August or on uh, February 24th. And uh, you could hear in that interview him receiving very bad news for his daughter, uh, bringing home the reality of what's going on in Europe. Tough times ahead, but as Arno said, we need to stick together to get through it. Let's do that. The show must go on. We'll be back after this break. KCLR. To a command there on Olas, Lenuacht August Sport Gokla. To Falterot Arash, uh, good day on bottom line. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock on the programme for and about business. Now, last week on the programme, I told you about the forthcoming National Enterprise Awards, and we spoke with Gary Evans of Feed Alpha, the company which will represent Carlo in this prestigious competition where companies from every county in the country are recognised for their achievements. On Thursday last, Cushendale Woolen Mills in Greg Namana were announced by Kilkenny Local Enterprise Office as the company who will represent Kilkenny in the event. I was delighted to be in Greg Namana for the announcement and first I met with the Cahirlock of Kilkenny County Council, Fidelis Doherty. Uh, I started by just saying how good it was to be there. Isn't it just lovely to be here uh, in Cushendale and just to see the looms working outside and the workers here and and the, the family here just celebrating their great uh, achievements and, and, and rightly so. And that's what we should be doing for local businesses and and that, that offer us the opportunity to you know to showcase the, their products. So well done Cushendale, it's just just lovely. You have great products here. So come along to Greg Namana, beautiful Greg Namana, and there's plenty to see and do. Um, but certainly a visit to Cushendale should be top of the list. And a company that's established in 1778, well over 200 years, exemplifying really all that's best about Kilkenny heritage and, you know, quality and working with the environment. Absolutely, John, you're right, and, and it's the sixth generation. And you know what, they bring that love of what they do from generation to generation, and it stays within families. I have a strong belief in that if families are into music or they're into GA or into rugby, it follows through, do you know, and, and that's lovely too that you kind of keep that connection there to someone that has has a skill or a, or a craft but for for this family it's it's all about uh, a lovely product that they've developed and they've you know maybe had difficult times too it wasn't all easy I'm sure um, but they, they have the love of, of their products and that's the most important thing. Fiona Deacon Director of Kilkenny Local Enterprise Office great to be back out actually in a business after two years when I was talking to you on the bottom line we were cocooned we were distanced we were isolated but normality returning absolutely John it's fantastic and in fact coming to Cushendale Woolen Mills here today and to see the work that they have done over Covid they've expanded their premises fabulous showcase of their products so you know they kept going throughout Covid even though they they were closed you know this company is uh, one of our really good companies here in Kilkenny they have huge export markets they've been here for a long long time as you've mentioned and I've been dealing with Philip and Mary for the last 20 years and now we have Miriam and her husband Trevor taking over the next generation so it's just fantastic to see it. And even though it's a a long established company, a very contemporary and modern feel here so it shows that you can blend heritage with modernity in the right way. Absolutely and that was recognised at Showcase recently when Cushendale won the Innovation Award for their new products and they're just really, really fabulous. You know, you'd want to buy them, you'd want to have them so it's great to see that 
innovation and that's what we're encouraging in the local enterprise office people to look at their products look at their services and to try and innovate and to bring things into the future and this company will represent Kilkenny now in the National Enterprise Award a very uh, good flag bearer for the county oh we're delighted that Cushendale have been chosen to represent Kilkenny um, the National Enterprise Award is a, a big date on the diary for the local enterprise offices so we'll all be heading up to the mansion house in May and we'll be competing against the 31 local enterprise offices and it's it's a, quite a competitive event and so it's a nice evening to um, showcase Kilkenny so it'll, it'll be a good night. And Fidelis, Kilkenny is competitive on the business field really as on the hurling field. Uh, you'll be rooting for Cushendale. Absolutely. Um, so wish them well and it's a huge achievement to be representing the county and and they'll, they'll see other products as well too. Sometimes it's good to go to different events because you can kind of see something that you can maybe diversify into your own business. So like, you know, that exposure is fantastic and uh, for other companies, they'll be looking to Cushendale to see what are they doing and what could we do that will be somewhat enhance their product as well. So it works in, in a both ways, yeah. Now, uh, that was uh, Fidela Starherty, Cairlock of Kilkenny County Council, and I spoke to Fiona Deegan of Kilkenny Local Enterprise Office. And after talking to them in the lovely Cushendale shop on Mill Road, I moved behind the scenes into the Cushendale Mill proper where I met the father and daughter team, the fifth and sixth generations of their family running Cushendale. And I started our chat by asking Miriam to tell me about where we actually were in the mill. Uh, so we're currently here uh, in the, the spinning mule room um, in our mill, in um, mill, mill Road in Gregnamana. Um, we've been operating, or well, the mill has been operating on this site since 1204, um, and our family can trace back to 1778, both living on this road um, and also working with wool, weaving, um, and woolen woolen goods manufacture, I suppose, over those six generations. And you're the sixth generation? Yeah, I'm the lucky enough and proud enough to be the sixth generation. So we can trace it the full way, full way back with the first uh, Sylvester Cushion, um, and Cushion is a very common name in Gregnamana. So there's there's lots of other families extended out, but in in our family, I can trace it. Yeah, six generations um, through um, through to myself now. Uh, hopping a generation back, uh, I'm joined by Philip Cushion. Philip, you were explaining to me the whole process. It's a very traditional process. Uh, bringing yeah. the product to life it is well it's developed over centuries so it's um, you know there are very many stages in it um, so from carding the wool dyeing wool spinning the wool and uh, then weaving warping weaving there's so many stages you'd need to be here uh, to just have a look and see what we're doing because uh, when people come in they, they get uh, well one of the things they, they sense first is the smell of the wool because we don't smell it anymore but when you come in you smell the wool and there is a special oil that we put on the wool when it's been processed and uh, so that's something that uh, I suppose as I say we don't we don't smell it but you probably smelled it yourself I did indeed and and you've spent your entire working life here yeah yeah I did yeah it was um, well it was just something I I suppose in a way I fell into it but uh, well it's I've always been in in the mill even when I was in the the national school I would have been in the mill in the summers or in secondary school and uh, you know would have always worked in the summer in the in the mill so uh, I, I didn't like it at actually a lot of the time but my father was a uh, he used to uh, spin 
uh, hand knitting yarns and it was always done on Saturday because the mill was quite wasn't working that day you see and he I had to come and you know and help him out and I'd rather be down on the barrow swimming you know so it, it, it wasn't exactly I wasn't in love with that 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 aspect of uh, being in the mill but I remember back in history, back in the day, and one of the things was the decline of the, the milling and the spinning industries, whether that would be in the north of Ireland, in Derry, and Belfast, or the north of England. This is a company is rather unique, I would believe, in Ireland and Great Britain and beyond. It would be, really, yeah. Um, well, there is one other mill, and again, it's a family mill, and we're very friendly with them. And they have, they, they have more or less contained the same tradition as we have in that they they can take in the wool like we do and you know they can make the cloth from it and it doesn't have to go abroad so what happens with a lot of mills that well they're not vertical mills in the sense they um, they may buy yarn from probably anywhere Romania and and, uh, they would have it dyed and uh, then they would weave it and just send it out then to be finished when I say finished, it means when it, when a cloth is woven, it's really only about half made at that stage because it has to be washed and it has to be milled or fulled. It, it, it just sets the weave and then it has to be uh, dried and maybe put a softener on it there's, and then brushed up if it's a t- kind of a throw. And, uh, you know, there's lots of, lots of uh, different processes. You know that you can that a cloth goes through until it's finished. And one thing that we're really looking here in Greg is that the quality of the water is just so good. I mean, we wouldn't have survived until now, I'd say, without that that water being. It's just really. Uh, I mean, if we wanted to make money, we'd bottle it and sell it. You know. <laughs> There's a thought. <laughs> Miriam, um, we're standing beside a, a, a rather large machine. Um, I wouldn't know how to describe it, but I do know it's from the late 19th century. Um, you have the same processes, you have old machinery, but a very contemporary feel to what you're doing. And the whole provenance is, is very important for the high end of the market, I, I hear. Yeah, I suppose we like to talk, when we talk to people about what we do, I suppose we want people when they see our textiles to be attracted by the colour, by the design, that contemporary feel. And then I suppose you've all the other layers underneath that, like you've the family provenance, you've how we work with the yarns and the wool, um, the skills that we have here. Um, the sustainability which we have which I know is a, is a, is the buzz kind of thing now but we as a business have probably, it's just part and parcel of what we do in being sustainable in the skills that we're using, in the natural materials that we're using um, and definitely we're seeing that, um, well people are definitely responding more to that but people are being a lot more uh, inquisitive now so be it direct customers here to the mill or retailers they're not only looking for a beautiful textile, they are looking for the story behind it and they really want to understand how has this been made, who's making it, um, where, you know, what, what's all the aspects of a, of a product. So I think, you know, what we have, like we, we tick all those boxes in spades, which as you know, we're very lucky that we, we can do that. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's probably a good time for us in, in that way that there's a, a reawakening, I suppose, to, um, to all the, those things that we've, we work so hard at doing here, yeah. Now, um, you have been here for six generations, going back into the 18th century, but surely no challenge came along like COVID, um, which closed uh, the place down. But you, you weren't idle during that time. 
No, uh, for us, COVID turned out to be uh, definitely a cloud with a silver lining. You know, at, at the start, certainly there was a few weeks where we, you know, there was that shock um, and we were all kind of wondering where and how, like all businesses. Um, but we had thankfully during 2019 and, and, and 18, we had started to do some research and started to think about how we needed to evolve the brand, how we needed to progress in order to sustain so the window of time that COVID brought in 2020 was absolutely perfect timing for us because then we were able to actually set aside time to look at our branding, uh, look at our physical space here in Greg Namana. Um, and the physical space is actually was, was a fantastic piece of work to do because one, we have a fantastic place now to bring people. But during COVID, when production was low, we were able to keep the staff employed, doing various jobs, just getting this the, the, the area prepared and everything. So, um, yeah, so we did a lot of a lot of a lot of work during COVID that we normally during production um, we don't have time to do. Um, and thankfully, we're reaping the benefits of that now um, because. Our, you know, we're attending more trade events, um, and our product has been really, really well accepted by um, a lot new clients uh, in the states, in particular. So we're attending a show there now, um, and and even here in Greg Namana, we're getting we're getting lots of business here to the mill, which is good for us and it's good for the town as well. It's another attraction to Greg Namana. You mentioned the American market; they must love the story and the heritage and the six generations and the great water and all that good stuff. Yeah, no, um, yeah, we started to attend a show in New York now that we attend, well, the product attended there in September and then I physically went in February. Um, and But like what I was saying, the first thing that they see and want to feel is the textile and love it. And then, then you get just the, the string of wows when you tell them, you know, all of the other aspects, the 1778. Um, and if I'm honest, being a woman now as a sixth generation, it's, you know, the time for Me Too and all of that sort of piece. Um, so people are really, uh, really like that as well, you know. Miriam Cushion there, who I was delighted to meet with her father, Philip, uh, during the week as uh, Cushendale Woolen Mills were announced by Kilkenny Local Enterprise Office as the business to represent Kilkenny in the National Enterprise Award, which will be coming up in the coming weeks. Now, don't forget the shop uh, slash business window competition, which is running in Carlow from the 1st to the 20th of March as part of Shockton, the Gaelga and the St. Patrick's Festival celebrations in Carlow. And all you need to do is dress your window with the display that celebrates all things Irish and email the photograph to carlowparade at gmail.com or marketing at touchpointmedia.ie We've got more interesting people to talk to. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, during the week, I spoke with Donal O'Donoghue, who, who is the president of the Employment and Recruitment Federation of Ireland. And I put it to him that the crisis that in Ukraine has rocked the world over the last two weeks and has shocked and horrified people. And I asked him what the response from his organisation to the crisis is going to be with a possible influx of Ukrainians displaced by the war in their country. Well, as you know, John, we represent the employment agencies and the recruitment companies around the country, and I think the overwhelming sense is that uh, that we want to help. Um, so when you think about the recruitment industry in Ireland, we help hundreds of thousands of people to access work, both on a permanent basis or as 
temporary agency workers. So at the moment today, there's 80,000 people that are out there working, uh, providing services as temporary agency workers. The majority of those are accessing full-time work and uh, probably about 20,000 people are working part-time through uh, through employment agencies around the country. And I think when we've seen the, the horrific uh, scenes coming from Ukraine, uh, we really welcome the contribution that Irish people are making to the humanitarian effort. But we wanted to pledge our support as, you know, representing all of the majority of the recruitment companies around the country to make employment opportunities and training opportunities available to people that are here seeking refuge. Mm. So I think, I think that's, the, that's the main thing. And the other thing to remember is that, um, you know, this has affected everybody in Ukraine. So there are very highly skilled people that are their life is in flux that need our support and there's also people that just need to to access uh, some kind of work uh, and to have some kind of recovery so it's been it's been great to see i've seen some of the banks coming out and advertising uh, in ukrainian that they will be helping people to access bank accounts i've seen uh, our own government and i welcome our own government making the, the pps process uh, a little bit easier and of course, the uh, the EU Commission recommendations around the temporary protection directive, which will basically allow people that are arriving here from the Ukraine to to work without restriction for a 12-month period, and that may be or is likely to be extended again into the future. So all of the all of the supports are being put in place because I think there's a huge uh, sense in Ireland that we want to help as best we can. So the the nuts and bolts of that are that uh, although people from Ukraine are outside of the EU and outside the Schengen Agreement, uh, they get protections and rights uh, which will allow them to work. What's your understanding of the current situation? Yes, the current situation is that uh, Ireland will kind of move into line with the Schengen Area Agreement and will waive uh, visa requirements for Ukrainians that are entering the country. Um, So it could be a situation where people are able to work uh, without restriction uh, for a period of 12 months and and then, as the the government has said, that there's the possibility of of extension after that period of time. So um, I suppose what we need to think about is, you know, how do we help these people to, first of all, access meaningful work and then to also look at the, at the skills gaps and what we can do to help them upskill. Because if you think about it, uh, you will have seen in, in recent times in 2021, for the first time, we have 2.5 million uh, people working in Ireland. But we still have a skills shortage. There is still, you know, across different sectors, uh, from uh, maybe entry level and lower skilled positions right up to to highly skilled and in demand positions. The skill shortage is everywhere. So uh, this is a really good time for uh, for us to be able to welcome people to the to the labour market. Yeah, so it, it might be a win-win both for Ukrainian people uh, will find uh, a lot of opportunities, but on the human side, um, employers need to be cognizant of the distress that people have been through and, and the difficulty readjusting in, in a very traumatic situation. Yeah, and but I, like I'm, I'm always impressed uh, by you know the amount of organisations that have that have been on a journey and that want to do something that is about connecting people with meaningful work and supporting people through through challenging times. We've had to do it in our own economy at different times after you know whether the pandemic or uh, you know downward economic cycles, and now I think it's you know the humanitarian issue. Uh, and we have, we're fortunate, we have a, a good economy at the moment. We have a strong labour market. 
So I think it is a win-win situation, but I, I don't think we'd be found wanting, even if, if times were tougher, I think there's a, a real sentiment of wanting to help. That's Donald O'Donoghue there from the organisation representing recruitment companies pledging their support uh, in helping get jobs for people who come in from Ukraine. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas, do email us at thebottomline at kclaura96fm.com. You can listen back to this or any episode of The Bottom Line on podcast. Just search The Bottom Line on KCLaura. We'll have an extended extract of my conversations down in Cushendale mills during the week up from Monday thanks to all our guests this week Sarah Jane O'Dwyer Arno Clybrook Fiona Deegan Councillor Fidelis Doherty Miriam Cushion Philip Cushion and Donald O'Donoghue thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show and thanks most of all to you for listening don't forget the Kilkenny Business Awards are on this evening in the Lyrat best of luck to all the local companies up for that we'll have news of the winners tomorrow on Casey Law we won't be here next Saturday but we'll be back on the bottom line on March 26th until then take care Try and stay positive in the face of all the bad news. It is tough, but as with COVID, we will get through it. Stay tuned to Casey Law over the weekend, where we've got lots of chat, music, information, news and sport. And don't forget, you can win €2,000 in Casey Law's great leprechaun hunt. And come on, Ireland. Hopefully today, the boys in green can wipe the smile from Boris Johnson's dial at Twickenham. Come on, the boys in green. Edward Hayden is next. The news is a tad late, but until we speak again, keep going, keep safe, and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie